Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. Jesus did many miracles and taught many things which are not recorded for us in the Gospels. I doubt that anyone would conclude that just because these things aren't written down means that they're unimportant or irrelevant for us. Everything Jesus did and taught has redemptively impacted and formed and shaped us even in our present life in ways perhaps that we don't always understand, especially all the stuff that we don't even know about, that wasn't written down. Not unlike the prayer of the church, as the church prays daily, as the monks in their monasteries pray, as we say the daily office, whether you're here or not, those prayers that we are saying are impacting your life. Christ said where two or three are gathered in his name, he is in their midst, and the church gathers daily to pray on behalf of the entire community. And this prayer is meritorious. And right here in our local community, we do this. Several people at least gather twice a day to pray the daily office. And this prayer is offered up on behalf of us all. It's a corporate prayer. A lot of what Jesus taught to his disciples was not written down, but it was passed on orally by them to their successors, and really formed uh, the structure and the worship of the New Testament church. Our gospel lesson this morning is of John's account of the feeding of the 5,000. Everything I just said, by the way, has really nothing to do with uh, my message this morning, but it was just a, it's a freebie, it's a little extra thought, you know. Um, except as a segue to say what I'm about to say about our gospel lesson. Um, We have this story of the feeding of the 5,000 in John's account. Now, this is obviously one of the miracles that was recorded. But it's not just one of the miracles that was recorded. It is the only miracle, other than the resurrection, which is actually recorded in all four Gospels. So that's important. Hmm. It's the only one recorded in all four Gospels. So while nothing that Jesus did or said is unimportant, this miracle seems to have a sort of pride of place. It's maybe an art miracle. And it has really all of the accoutrements to go with it. It really does. This is that one Sunday gospel lesson that the preacher does not mind being in the yearly rotation because there's so much material here in this miracle that you could spend a lifetime preaching on it. Not only do we have the story of the miracle itself, as recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's also, and that's, it's full of you know, symbolism and theology and all kinds of stuff in there. But beyond that, Jesus talks about this miracle a lot after the miracle happens. He refers back to it. Uh, in John's gospel, practically the entire chapter, chapter 6, which is one of the most 
really profound chapters in all of his gospel. The entire chapter is sort of about this miracle, elucidating this miracle. And the other gospelers also have stories after the miracle where Jesus gives some commentary on the miracle. And that's sort of what struck me recently, <clears throat> captured my attention. I had been reading the Gospels in the morning, and I was reading through Mark's Gospel, and there was an incident where Jesus, between Jesus and his disciples, and in this incident, Jesus refers back to uh, this miracle of feeding of, you know, there's two, two actually feedings, the feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,000. And in this incident with Jesus and his disciples, he refers back to the feeding of the four and 5,000. And I thought, oh, who better to look to for an interpretation of this miracle than the miracle worker himself? And um, he comments quite a bit about it. And his particular comments to the disciples in Mark really struck me. And it was pretty obvious that the desired impact of the miracle for the disciples, at least initially, kind of went in one ear and out the other. They didn't get it, obviously. So that's what's on my mind this morning. You know, as I said, there are many themes we could talk about concerning the miracle. But there was one particular clear, very clear message stemming from Jesus' own commentary on this in Mark's Gospel. So when we look at Mark's Gospel, we see the miracle that takes place. His commentary actually comes after the miracle of the feeding of the 4,000, not the 5,000. So he feeds the 4,000. Everybody disbands. And then he, he ends up having this brief encounter with the Pharisees, just a couple of verses long. And they demand from him a sign. It exacerbates Jesus, really annoys him. And he says, you're not getting a sign. No. <laughs> you're evil. <laughs> Looking for a sign. I'm not giving you a sign. And then they get back in the boat and, and, and go on. And so this is the next thing that we read after that. Now, this is Mark 8, 14. Now they had forgotten to take bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. It's always good to have a loaf of bread in the boat with you for case of emergencies. And Jesus ordered them, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. So they began to discuss with one another about having no bread. When he learned of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you arguing about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Have your hearts become hardened? Though you have eyes, don't you see? And though you have ears, can't you hear? I mean, sarcasm is okay sometimes. Don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? How many? Tell me, how many baskets full did you pick up? Twelve. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? Seven. Then he said to them, do you still not understand? This is the whole story in a nutshell right here, this encounter. This is the whole story of God and humans and our interaction with God. Right from the beginning, God gives Adam an entire paradise full of luscious food, nutritious, delicious, 
to enjoy. He supplies his every need in abundanza, walks with him in sweet communion in the cool of the day. And what does Adam do? Consorts with a snake devil and eats the one thing he was told not to eat and gets cast out of paradise and plunges all of humanity into the abyss of death. And we just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. God calls Abraham to a glorious future, to be his best friend, to be the father of many nations with a great promise. When the child doesn't come according to Abraham's expectations, he takes matters into his own and produces a fleshly heir. Of course, he later passes the test of trusting in God's provision when he raises the knife over the son of promise. Then God delivers his people from Egypt. It's an amazing story. Miracle after miracle. There's never been a more extravagant display of divine power to deliver or sustain a people than God's work with the Jews coming out of Egypt and in the wilderness. But it is never enough for them. Never enough. No sooner do they have water gushing forth from a rock to relieve their thirst or bread falling down from heaven to assuage their hunger... They get displays of thunder and lightning and voice from heaven and glorious radiance on their leader Moses' face. They even get stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God himself. What do they do? Complain. Complain and fear. Forget about everything that God's done for them. Fashion a golden calf to worship because apparently Yahweh isn't enough. He's not quite cutting it in the divine provision you know, protection, love department, so they're going to make their own God maybe better capable of taking care of them. So what we've been doing as humans, this is our relationship with God. And if you think we're any different, (laughs) I mean, hopefully we're a little different, but we still kind of repeat these things in our life. So take us back to Jesus' comments to the disciples who were in the boat arguing because somebody forgot to buy bread. Why are you arguing that you have no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Have your hearts been hardened? Though you have eyes, do you not see? Though you have ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? When I broke up the five loaves of the 5,000, how many baskets did you pick up? Twelve. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets did you pick up? Seven. Do you still not understand? We have so many needs in this life, so many fears, so many insecurities, so many wants and desires. There's so much discontentment in our life. We're searching, 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 trying to fill up something, looking, running about here and there, looking for some kind of satiety, answers. And we forget about Jesus. We forget about him. Like he's not even there. You know, it's an afterthought. We forget to pray. We forget to pray. We grab everything except go talk to him about it. We don't hound heaven. We don't look to him as our source, as our helper. For everything. For your headache. Pray before you pop the aspirin. Pray first. Seek him first. If you're happy, who are you going to go tell first? Go tell Jesus you're happy. First, before you tell anybody else. He should be, in Deacon David's words, your best friend. 
Go tell him about it. If you're upset, go tell him about it before you complain to somebody else. He's right there with you. But we forget him. We also forget the Holy Spirit. We forget there even is a Holy Spirit. We ignore the Holy Spirit most of the time. We really do. It's terrible. We ignore the Holy Spirit. What disrespect we show the Holy Spirit. And when we're not ignoring him, a good part of the time, we're just annoyed with him. Because he's, you know, he's like, no, don't go that way. Go this way. We're like, no, I want to go this way. Get away from me. Leave me alone. Stop annoying me. Like the disciples, much of the time we're still hard of heart. We don't understand that Jesus is the bread of heaven. That Jesus is our food. And that to do the work of God is to believe in him whom he has sent. And that if we are intimate with Christ, as he promises in John 6, in this very chapter, and says these other things, we will never go hungry, we will never be thirsty. In another place he says our cup will overflow. We'll have contentment, St. Paul promises. We will not need to look elsewhere to a brothel of false promises, empty promises. So often we're arguing about bread, we're worried about bread. When the bread of life is on the table being offered to us in unreserved abundance, God is what we want. God is what you want. Christ is what you want. Intimacy with Christ. He is what you are hungry for. And the Holy Spirit has been given to us and if we will listen to the Holy Spirit, if we will entreat the Holy Spirit and court the Holy Spirit and follow the Holy Spirit, He will lead us in and through Christ to the fullness of God. And then we will be satiated with goodness and we will have our full. And we will have baskets left over in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.